This reading is presented with permission from Scholastic. Hi friends, in chapters 5 and 6, we continue to learn a little bit more about Gilly's personality. Is she going to form a friendship with Agnes? How is she doing in school? Is she going to start warming up to her new family? And what about her plan to run away to her mom? Let's find out a little bit more about the great Gilly Hopkins. William Ernest and Other Mean Flowers Agnes Stokes was waiting outside when she started for school the next morning. Gilly's first impulse was to turn around and go back into the house until Agnes had left, but it was too late. Agnes was already waving and yelling to her. What a creep. Gilly walked past her quickly without speaking. She could hear Agnes's little scurrying steps behind her. Then there was a dirty hand on her arm. Disgusted, Gilly shook it off. Agnes's hand was gone, but she hooked her chin over Gilly's upper arm, her face twisted up to look Gilly in her face. Her breath smelled. What are we going to do today? She asked. We? Are you kidding? Want to fight the boys again? I'll help. Gilly spun around and brought her nose down close to Agnes's stubby one. Ugh. When are you going to get it? Through that ant brain of yours. I don't want help. Agnes withdrew her nose and shook her greasy hair, but to Gilly's annoyance, she clung like a louse knit, scurrying beside Gilly two or three steps to every one of Gilly's. Though it was hard to ignore her the rest of the way to school, Gilly managed by putting on her celebrity in a parade face, staring glassy eye far into the crowd, blanking out everything within close range. I just live up the next block from you, you know, Thrillsville. I'll stop by for you every day, okay? The little jerk couldn't even figure out that she was being ignored. Just as they reached the schoolyard, Agnes waved a large unwrapped piece of gum before Gilly's nose. Want some bubble gum? Oh, what the heck? The queen had used Rumpelstiltskin, hadn't she? Agnes might come in handy someday. The trick was in knowing how to dispose of people when you were through with them, and Gilly had had plenty of practice performing that trick. She took the gum without speaking. Agnes flushed with pleasure. See that kid over by the fence? The one with the big nose? Her mother ran away with a sailor last May. So? Agnes put her hand up and whispered behind it. My grandma says the whole family's nothing but trash. Yeah? Gilly smacked her gum noisily. What your grandma say about your family? Agnes went as stiff as a dried sponge. Who's been telling lies about my family? Lucky guess. They're coming back. Both of them. Sure. Well, they are. Probably before Christmas. Okay, okay, I believe you. Agnes's dark eyes darted back and forth in their sockets, studying Gilly's expressionless face. Are you making fun of me? She asked finally. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Agnes's uncertainty wavered. 
You know a lot more stuff, she said. You know, junk about people around here. I bet you do, sweetheart. Gilly carefully blew a medium-sized bubble, which popped dangerously close to Agnes's stringy red hair. Agnes let out a sharp little laugh. <laughs> Watch it, she said nervously. The first bell rang. See it, recess? Gilly shrugged and headed for Harris 6. Maybe, she said. Although a part of Gilly's head wanted to get on with her schemes of how to get Mr. Randolph's money, once she crossed the threshold of Harris 6, she forced herself to concentrate on her lessons. She had made up her mind that the first day to pay attention in Miss Harris's class, she wasn't going to let a bunch of low-class idiots think that they were smarter than she was. It was infuriating to find herself behind in almost every subject, but she knew that the fault lay in Hollywood Gardens Elementary and not in herself. She would work madly until she had not caught, not only caught up, but passed them all, and then she would skid to a total halt. That kind of technique drove teachers wild. They took it personally when someone who could obviously run circles around the rest of the class completely refused to play the game. Yep, and in Miss Harris's case, that was just how Gilly wanted it taken. At lunchtime, Agnes's class had gotten to the cafeteria first, so when Gilly left the line, Agnes was already seated and waved her over to the table. Gilly would have preferred to eat alone. Agnes wasn't the most appetizing luncheon companion. But since Gilly had decided Agnes might come in handy, she might as well get used to her. She went over and sat down opposite Agnes, who smiled like a cartoon cat across the trays. I get free lunch too, she said. Gilly glared at her. Nobody was supposed to know who got a free lunch and who didn't. So much for privacy. The first thing she was going to teach Agnes Stokes was when to keep her big mouth shut. You know, don't you, Agnes? It makes me just sick looking at you. Agnes gave her a kicked dog expression. What you mean? Nothing personal. You just make me sick, that's all. Agnes jerked the cafeteria bench closer to the table and started to roll up her dragging shirt sleeves. Something personal, Gilly continued. In fact, you probably can't help it. I don't blame you. I'm just not going to put up with it. Put up with what? Gilly leaned way across the table and right into Agnes's pink face. Your big mouth. Agnes tilted backwards to get her face out of Gilly's leering one. People were staring at them. They both straightened up, but Gilly kept the leer in place. I ain't got no big mouth, Agnes said quietly. Then keep it shut. We wouldn't want what's left of your brains to trickle out. Agnes's mouth flew open and immediately slammed shut. She shrugged, gave an angry little sniff, then began to eat her lunch. Gilly paused to give a generous smile to the other people at the table while spreading her napkin delicately on her lap and picking up the milk carton with her pinky curled, the way Miss Nevins used to do when she picked up her coffee cup. After lunch, she allowed Agnes to follow her around the playground like a stray puppy. Once Agnes ventured a tentative, Hey, Gil. Gilly spun around with such a frightening look that any further words withered. And when Gilly left school, Agnes fell in behind her without a word. They marched up the hill, Agnes tripping along double time to keep up with Gilly's exaggerated strides. When they got to Trotter's, Gilly went in. As she was closing the dirty white picket gate behind her, 
Agnes touched her arm and handed her a note. It said, when can I talk? Gilly smiled benignly. We'll see, she said. We'll just see how it goes. Agnes opened her mouth like a starved baby bird, but she didn't give a chirp. Good bird. Gilly patted the skinny, freckled arm and swept up the walk into the house, leaving the opened mouth fledgling outside the gate. Is that you, William Ernest, honey? Is that me, Mamie Trotter, baby? squeaked Gilly. From the kitchen, she could hear Trotter's laugh rumbling. Come in here and get yourself a snack, Gilly, honey. Gilly was tempted, but determined not to yield. She was too smart to be bought with food, no matter how hungry she felt. She stomped up the stairs past the open kitchen door, from which came a definite smell of chocolate chip cookies. Darn you, Mamie Trotter. Later, behind her carefully closed door, Gilly took out the money from the bureau. Then she pulled out the whole drawer and dumped it upside down on the bed. She smoothed out the bills on the drawer bottom and then took from her pocket the masking tape she'd taken care to steal from Miss Harris's desk and taped the bills to the bottom of the drawer. Without warning, the door flew open. Gilly, to cover the money, fell chest down over the drawer. Frog-eyed William Ernest stood on the threshold trying to juggle a small tray which held a plate of cookies and a glass of milk. What the devil? screeched Gilly. Trotter was all the child could manage in the way of an answer. He was rattling the tray so hard that the milk glass was threatening to jump the edge. Well, put him down, stupid. W.E.'s eyes searched the room in desperation Gilly was feeling, beginning to feel like a fool lying chest down on the bureau drawer. She raised herself enough to turn the drawer over, and then she sat up and turned to face him. Didn't Trotter ever teach you about knocking before you bust in? He nodded, eyes wide, tray rattling. She sighed. What a weird little kid. <sighs> okay, she said, reaching out across the narrow space. Give it here. He shoved it at her and ran, blamity-blam, down the stairs. Gilly turned the drawer back over to make a table on the bed and put the milk and cookies on it. She shut the door and then sat cross-legged on the bed and began to eat. Oh, thank you, thank you, Mamie Trotter. What a delicious-smelling plate of cookies. My, my, and amen. In the middle of the last cookie, an inspiration came to her. It wasn't Agnes Stokes whom she could use. Agnes couldn't be trusted between freckles. It was William Ernest. Of course. Trotter's honey baby, engaged in a life of crime. She laughed out loud at the pleasure of it. Baby-faced Teague, the frog-eyed filcher. Wild-eyed William, the goose-brained godfather. Oh, the possibilities were unlimited and delectable. The midget of the mafia. The orange reader squeezer. No, the orange squirt. She jumped up, put the room to order, danced down the stairs, balancing the tray high on one hand, and skipped into the kitchen. Trotter looked up from the table where she was spooning cookie dough onto the baking sheet and gave her the eye. Feeling good now? Gilly gave her the 300-watt smile that she had designed especially for melting the hearts of foster parents. Never better! She spoke the words with just the right musical lilt. She put her dishes by the sink, started to wash them, but then thought better of it. Trotter might get suspicious if goodness was overdone. 
She skated out into the hall and around the bottom of the stairs, right into the living room where W.E. sat on the floor, staring at Sesame Street. She slid down beside him, and when his eyes checked her out sideways, she gave a quiet, sisterly kind of smile and pretended to be enthralled with Big Bird. She said nothing through Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and the electric company, but occasionally hummed along with one of the songs in a friendly sort of way, never failing to smile at William when she caught him snatching a quick stare in her direction. Her strategy seemed to be succeeding. At any rate, when supper time neared, she said to him, Do you want to set the table or get Mr. Randolph? He answered with hardly a stutter. Get Mr. Randolph. So she set the kitchen table, humming under her breath the sunny days theme from Sesame Street. And after supper, she folded an airplane for him from notebook paper. And at her suggestion, he even followed her out on the front porch to fly it. W.E. squinched his little nearsighted eyes together, wrinkled up his stubby nose, drew his arm way back, and pitched the airplane with all his might. How? he whispered. The plane swooped down off the porch and then suddenly caught an updraft and climbed higher than their heads, looped and glided smoothly to the grass. He turned shining eyes on her. See that? he asked softly. See that? Okay, okay. Gilly ran out and picked up the plane. It was the best one she'd ever made. She clambered up on the concrete post that held the porch railing in place and raised her arm. Then she thought better of it. You do it, William Ernest, okay? She climbed down and gave him a boost up. He seemed a little unsteady from the height of the post, glancing down, apparently afraid to move his feet. Look, I'm not going to let you fall, man. And she put her hands loosely around his ankles. She could feel him relaxing under her fingers. He reared back and shot. Pow, he said a little louder than before, sending the white craft with its pale blue lines as high well, almost as high as the house, looping, climbing, gliding, resting at last in the azalea bush in Mr. Randolph's yard. William Ernest scrambled off the post and down the steps. He was slowed by the fence, but not stopped. You could tell he'd never climbed a fence in his life, and it would have been faster by far to go through the gate and around, but he had chosen the most direct route to his precious plane. He fell in Mr. Randolph's yard in such a way that one arm and leg seemed to arrive before the other, but he picked himself up at once and delicately plucked his prize from the bush. He turned around to grin shyly at Gilly, and then, as though carrying the crown of England, came down Mr. Randolph's walk, then sidewalk, and into Trotter's gate. About halfway up the walk, he said something. What did you say? Gilly asked. I say... The veins in his neck stuck out with the effort of raising his voice to an audible level. I say, it sure fly good. He wasn't as dumb as he looked now, was he? Thought Gilly, smiling, without taking the time to calculate which smiles to put on. You throw good, too, William E. I do? Sure. I was just admiring your style. I guess you've had lessons. He cocked his head in puzzlement. No? You just taught yourself? He nodded his head solemnly. Gee, man, you're a natural. I've never seen such a natural. He straightened his thin shoulders and marched up the stairs as though he were president of the United States. 
They were still flying the plane, or rather W.E. was flying it, with Gilly looking on and making admiring remarks from time to time when Trotter and Mr. Randolph came out on the porch. You gotta see this, Trotter. William Ernest can do this really good. W.E. climbed unassisted to the top of the concrete post. He didn't need Gilly's hands or help now. Watch, he said softly. Watch here. Mr. Randolph lifted his sightless face upward. What is it, son? Gilly made him a paper airplane, it looks, inter interpreted Trotter. Oh, I see, I see. Watch now. We're watching, William Ernest, honey. W.E. leaned back and let fly. How? For another swooping, soaring, slowly spiraling, skimming superflight. Trotter sighed as the plane gracefully landed by the curb. William Ernest rushed to retrieve it. How was it? Mr. Randolph asked. I declare, Mr. Randolph, sometimes it's a pity you gotta miss seeing things. I never thought paper airplanes was for anything but to drive teachers crazy before. She turned to Gilly. That was really something, she said. Gilly could feel herself blushing, but W.E. came up the steps and saved her. It's cause I fly so good, he said. Yeah, said Gilly, patting his shoulder. You sure do. He looked up into her face, his squinty little eyes full of pure pleasure. Thank you, said Trotter softly. For a moment, Gilly looked at her, then quickly turned away as a person turns from bright sunlight. Want me to walk Mr. Randolph home? She asked. Thank you, Miss Gilly. I would appreciate that so much. She took his elbow and guided him carefully down the stairs taking care not to look back over her shoulders because the look on Trotter's face was one Gilly had in some deep part of her longed to see all her life, but not from someone like Trotter. That was not part of the plan. Chapter 6, Harassing Miss Harris By the third week in October, Gilly had caught up with her class and gone on ahead. She tried to tell herself that she'd been forced Miss Harris into a corner from which the woman could give her nothing but A's. Surely, it must kill old Prisface to have to put rave notices, excellent, good clear thinking, nice work, on the papers of someone who so obviously disliked her. But Miss Harris was a cool customer. If she knew that Gilly despised her, she never let on. So at this point, Gilly was not ready to pull her time-honored trick of stopping work just when the teacher had become convinced that she had a bloody genius on her hands. That had worked so beautifully at Hollywood Gardens the whole staff had gone totally ape when suddenly one day she began turning in blank sheets of paper. It was the day after Gilly had overheard the principal telling her teacher that Gilly had made the highest score in the entire school's history on her national aptitude tests. But, of course, no one knew that she knew, so an army of school psychologists had been called in to try to figure her out. Since no one at school would take the blame for Gilly's sudden refusal to achieve, they decided to blame her foster parents, 
which made Miss Nevins so furious that she demanded that Miss Ellis remove Gilly at once instead of waiting out the year, the year Miss Nevins had reluctantly agreed to after her first complaints about Gilly's sassy and underhanded ways. But something warned Gilly that Miss Harris was not likely to crumble at the sight of a blank sheet of paper. She was more likely simply to ignore it. She was different from the other teachers Gilly had known. She did not appear to be dependent on her students. There was no evidence that they fed either her anxieties or her satisfactions. In Gilly's social studies book, there was a picture of a Muslim woman of Saudi Arabia with her body totally covered except for her eyes. It reminded Gilly somehow of Miss Harris, who had wrapped herself up in invisible robes. Once or twice, a flash in the eyes seemed to reveal something to Gilly of a person underneath the protective garments. But such flashes were so rare that Gilly hesitated to say, even to herself, what they might mean. Some days, it didn't matter to Gilly what Miss Harris was thinking or not thinking. It was rather comfortable to go to school with no one yelling or cajoling to know that your work was judged on its merits and was not affected by the teacher's personal opinion of the person doing the work. It was a little like throwing a basketball. If you aimed right and you got it through the hoop, it was absolutely just and absolutely impersonal. But other days, Miss Harris's indifference grated on Gilly. She was not used to being treated like everyone else. Ever since the first grade, she had forced her teachers to make a special case of her. She had been in charge of her own education. She had learned what and when it pleased her. Teachers had courted her and cursed her, but no one before had simply melted her into the masses. As long as she had been behind the masses, she tolerated this failure to treat her in a special manner. But now, even the good morning smile seemed to echo the math computer's, hello, Gilly, number 58706. Today, we will continue our study of fractions. Crossing threshold of classroom causes audio teacher to light up and say good morning. For $3,000 additional, get the personalized electric eye model that calls each student by name. For several days, she concentrated on the vision of a computer-activated Miss Harris. It seemed to fit. Brilliant, cold, totally, absolutely, and maddeningly fair all her inner workings shiningly encased and hidden from view. Not a Muslim, but a flawless, tamper-proof machine. The more Gilly thought about it, the madder she got. No one had a right to cut herself off from other people like that. Just once before she left this dump, she'd like to pull a wire inside that machine. Just once She'd like to see Harris Six scream in anger, fall apart, break down. But Miss Harris wasn't like Trotter. You didn't have to be around Trotter five minutes before you knew the direct route to her insides. William Ernest Teague. Miss Harris wasn't hooked up to other people. It was like old Mission Impossible reruns on TV. 
Your mission, if you decide to accept it, is to get inside this computerized robot, discover how it operates, and neutralize its effectiveness. The self-destructing tape never told the Mission Impossible team how to complete their impossible mission, but the team always seemed to know. Gilly, on the other hand, hadn't a clue. It was TV that gave her the clue. She hadn't been thinking about Miss Harris at all. She'd been thinking, actually, of how to get the rest of Mr. Randolph's money and hadn't been listening to the news broadcast. Then, somehow, it began sending a message into her brain. A high government official had told a joke on an airplane that had gotten him fired. Not just any joke, mind you, a dirty joke. But that wasn't what got him fired. The dirty joke had been somehow insulting to blacks. Apparently, all the black people in the country and even some whites were jumping up and down with rage. Unfortunately, the commentator didn't repeat the joke. She could have used it. But at least she knew now something that might be a key to Harris Six. She borrowed some money from Trotter for school supplies and bought a pack of heavy white construction paper and magic markers. Behind the closed door of her bedroom, she began to make a greeting card, fashioning it as closely as she could to the tall, thin comic cards on the special whirl-around stand at the drugstore. At first, she, draw, she tried to draw a picture on the front, wasting five or six precious sheets of paper in the attempt, cursing her incompetence. She stole one of Trotter's magazines and cut from it a picture of a tall, beautiful black woman in afro. Her skin was a little darker than Miss Harris's, but it was close enough. Above the picture of the woman, she lettered these words carefully. She could print well, even if her drawing stank. They're saying black is beautiful, and then below the picture, but the best that I can figure is everyone who's saying so might mighty like a, and inside the tiny letters, person with a vested interest in maintaining this point of view. She had to admit it. It was about the funniest card she'd ever seen in her life. Gifted Gilly, a funny female of the first rank. If her bedroom had been large enough, she'd have rolled on the floor. As it was, she lay on the bed hugging herself and laughing until she was practically hysterical. Her only regret was that the card was to be anonymous. She would have enjoyed taking credit for this masterpiece. She got to school very early the next morning and sneaked up the smelly stairs to Harris Six before the janitor had even turned on the hall lights. For a moment, she figured that the door might be locked, but it opened easily under her hand. She slipped the card into the math book that lay in the middle of Miss Harris's otherwise absolutely neat desk. She wanted to be sure that no one else would discover it and ruin everything. All day long, but especially during math, Gilly kept stealing glances at Miss Harris. Surely at any minute she would pick up the book. Surely she could see the end of the card sticking out and would be curious. Miss Harris left the book exactly where it was. She borrowed a book from a student when she needed to refer to one. It was as though she sensed her own was booby-trapped. By lunch... Gilly's heart, which had started the day jumping with happy anticipation, was kicking angrily at her stomach. By mid-afternoon, she was so mad that nothing had happened that she missed three spelling words, all of which she perfectly knew. 
and at three o'clock bell, she slammed her chair upside down on her desk and headed for the door. Gilly, her heart skipped as she turned towards Miss Harris. Will you wait a minute, please? They both waited, staring quietly at each other until the room emptied. Then Miss Harris got up from her desk and closed the door. She took a chair from one of the front desks and put it down a little distance from her own. Sit down for a minute, won't you? Billy sat. The math book lay apparently undisturbed, the edge of the card peeping out at, other, at the other end. You may find this hard to believe, Gilly, but you and I are very much alike. Gilly snapped to attention despite herself. I don't mean an intelligence, although that is true too. Both of us are smart and we know it. But the thing that brings us closer than intelligence is anger. You and I are two of the angriest people I know. She said all of this in a cool voice that cut each word in a thin slice from the next and then waited as if to give Gilly a chance to challenge her. Gilly was fascinated, like the guys in the movies watching the approach of a cobra. She wasn't about to make a false move. We do different things with our anger, of course. I was always taught to deny mine, which I did and still do. And that makes me envy you. Your anger is still up here on the surface where you can look it in the face. Make friends with it if you want to. She might have been talking Swahili for all Gilly could understand. But I didn't ask you to stay after school to tell you how intelligent you are or how much I envy you, but to thank you for your card. Well, it had to be sarcasm, but Harris Six was smiling, almost like a human being. When did the cobra strike? I took it to the teacher's room at noon and cursed creatively for 20 minutes I haven't felt so good in years. She'd gone mad, like the computer in 2001. Gilly got up and started backing towards the door. Miss Harris just smiled and made no effort to stop her. As soon as she got to the stairs, Gilly began to run and, cursing creatively, ran all the way home.